I'm someone who loves trying out different makeup looks, but doesn't really wear much on a daily basis, so I like to focus on making sure I have high quality staples. And whether you like a fresh face, full glam, or somewhere in between, you've probably seen Thrive Cosmetics Viral Tubing Mascara. I've certainly seen it everywhere, you know the one in the turquoise tube? So that mascara, along with all of Thrive Cosmetics beauty products, are certified 100% vegan and cruelty-free, which I look for in makeup, and they've got excellent quality to match. And something I didn't know from all the mascara videos I've seen is that for every product sold, Thrive Cosmetics donates either that same product, another product that is needed more, or a monetary donation. They've worked with over 500 nonprofits to help with a wide range of causes like supporting cancer survivors, people experiencing homelessness, education access, and so much more. Knowing that makes me feel even better about using their products. And I do enjoy using them. Like I said, I like having high quality staples, and so my favorites are products that are multi-purpose, like the Brilliant Eye Brightener. It comes in a bunch of colors, and I like using them as eyeliner, eyeshadow, and even highlighter. Thrive Cosmetics is luxury beauty that gives back. Right now, you can get an exclusive 20% off your first order at thrivecosmetics.com thrive. That's Thrive Cosmetics, C-A-U-S-E-M-E-T-I-C-S, dot com slash thrive for 20% off your first order. Calling all lovers of mystery and fans of a good story. If you haven't already heard me talk about June's journey, you're in for a treat. It's time to don your detective hat in this free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. In June's journey, you get to play as June, deciphering clues and unveiling secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. And did I mention it's set in the glitzy 1920s? New chapters are added weekly, so you will never run out of new thrills to uncover, and you can also personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. How sharp are your detective skills? Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device, or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. This is your last chance. After this, there is no turning back. You take the blue pill, the story ends. You wake up in your bed and believe whatever you want to believe. You take the red pill, you stay in Wonderland. And I show you how deep the rabbit hole goes. Hey everyone, it's Noah Daniels here at the Real Hauntings Podcast. And we have a very special guest. It's my bloody Galentine, Becky. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Thank you for having me again. Yeah, absolutely. You know, every like three to five months, yeah. we have to get you back on this podcast to see what is going on in your life. So since we last talked on the podcast, you have some new friends in your house. At least I hope they're friends, some new acquaintances, some haunted dolls. Can you tell us about how you acquired those dolls? A lot of people don't know where those dolls came from. And I think that's one of the coolest things. They came from Ryan Matthew Cohen from the show Oddities. Um, he also has an insane collection of, you name it, oddities, odd things. Um, things that are hundreds of years old and uh, some skulls, human remains are in his collection. And out of decades of collecting and curating museums, only one object ever made him feel like there was something wrong with it. And it was actually the duo of dolls. He 
contacted me. Well, he tagged me in a post and he said, I think I've finally been haunted. Time to call my bloody Galentine. And I was like, haha, good, because you're a skeptic. And I was excited that my skeptic friend was starting to believe. And he said, no, it's been ghastly. And I was like, Brian, what's going on? <laughs> and he messaged me and he said that his he in the unit that he rents, um, which is on his property, had gone out. Um, he paid to have it fixed. It went out again. Um, the dolls, it all started when he was photographing the dolls. And when he put them back into the room after the photographs, he had been joking. Um, a typical horror movie, like he was like, those dolls ain't they're nothing, you know? And um, he had been warned at some point, like, be careful, they need a place that has space for them. So when he was photographing them, he's like, these dolls aren't anything. They're just a joke. They're just I shouldn't say it, to be honest, they're in the next room. I try not to repeat what he said. Um, and he put them back and their mouths fell out. So they're two ventriloquist dolls. The portrait of horror, actually, they have um, cracked composition heads. And the one is actually split open now because of what happened. Their mouths fell out. And he was like, okay, coincidence, puts the mouths back in. And he also, in his collection, is a big fan of hands. So he has these antique hands that are like anatomical models. And he puts up this new pair of hands. And the thing with Ryan's collection is many of the things are very expensive. And one of these sets of hands came crashing down, hits the doll in the head and cracks it open. And he is like, okay, I needed to secure them because they are moving. And he tells me all of this. And he tells me that one of his business relationships that he's had for over a decade just abruptly ends overnight. And it wasn't just for him. It was like the whole business was over. And he's like, how am I going to fix that? You know, I've been working with them for a decade. And it, it just didn't seem to end. But he told me he wanted to keep them for a little bit longer. And I said, okay, but I'll be here when you need me. Set some boundaries, tell them they can be in your house so that you're going to keep them safe and they will settle down, hopefully. About a month went by <laughs> and it was just before Christmas. It was literally midnight. I get a message that said, I need these dolls gone now, emergency level. And I'm like, oh, what happened? And I was like, I'm going to try and figure this out. It was like, three o'clock in the morning, we were kind of talking back and forth. And then he told me he was going back to bed, but he was in an Uber coming back from New Jersey. And I'm like, oh boy, like, why are you Ubering from three states away? So the next morning he told me that when he went to his event, he runs the Oddities Flea Market. It's a pretty big event and it's in New York City. And he went to his event and his car broke down. He had to be jumped outside, which, you know, as a promoter and event curator to have your car jumped outside is, you know, a little bit embarrassing, I guess. And then the next weekend, Regina, his wife, has a brand new car that only has 18,000 miles and they get on the road and it starts smoking. And so he had to Uber back from New Jersey. And that's when he was like, I'm done. I'm not taking any more risks. This is too much. It's like the worst pain he had ever been through in his life. He lost like a total of $15,000. Hmm. Um, at this point, they have told me that they were hearing footsteps in the house. They checked twice to see if someone broke into the house from the room that these dolls are in. And I said, okay, this is what I want you to do. Take the dolls outside, cover them in salt, like create a barrier. And whether or not this was a psychosomatic thing, I was like, that barrier will allow him to have an emotional and mental separation from the dolls. And I said, after you do that little ritual, do not bring them back inside and mail them to me. 
And he said, okay. <laughs> he takes the dolls, he salts them, and he goes to go to the post office. And on the way to the post office, his car started acting up. He's a Cadillac. So it's not like, you know, this older car or anything. And the car was acting up on the way to the post office. I said, if you need to schedule pickup, someone who has a mental barrier, like a, a postal carrier is not going to be affected by the haunted object because they don't have that emotional opening. They're not spiritually open to the, the object. So he mails them to me and they came in the mail. It, they looked exactly how they sound. Their mouths were falling out. There's salt falling off of them. It was horrific. And I shared them the social media and they immediately, like people were obsessed. Like people were having dreams about them. They were be being affected. They believed, I I'm telling you thousands, thousands of people, not one or two. I didn't suggest this. I don't, there's no reason to believe that for me. And so I have them in my hands. I'm like holding them. People are like, you're touching them with your bare hands. These are terrifying. I had probably a dozen people who dreamt of them over the course of the past month and a half. And people have been really obsessed. I think there was a collective 15 million views, every single thing that happened with them. And I think the obsession and draw was part of it. Now it's been a month and a half. So we can update and say, Ryan is okay. Nothing has happened since. They've been in my house. Some things have happened since. I I told Ryan, you know, I set up a camera to monitor them 24-7 because I don't take things at face value. And it's not that I didn't believe him, but I said, you know, I need to investigate your claims. So I set up a Nest camera and I was home alone and I got a notification that there was a person seen in my hallway. And I go to check the camera and the mouths are open and oh. I watched the footage and the light turns off and then as it's turning back on the mouth is falling out so i told ryan you know i did validate the movement they did move and they haven't moved since and the only time they moved was on camera the mouth falling out is one thing the light turning off is one thing but for the both of those things to happen at the same time was interesting he said i haven't seen it i don't watch any of the videos with the dolls i he has an entire chapter in his book that's coming out in october called the witch's door about the dolls and he's like i don't want to even see them that's how traumatized he is by them but they did add like i guess an end cap to the book because they add had to add more to the story with the dolls and so in that community, I hope people understand the gravity. When you're working with museums and you're working with artifacts, you can't just say, I believe in ghosts and the paranormal because it changes your entire trajectory of what you're doing. So for him to come out and say, yeah, I believe in the paranormal now was pretty big and to own the objects that it happened with is pretty crazy. Well, Becky, when I think of haunted dolls, I think of, of course, Annabelle that people talk about a lot. And then Robert the doll, um, another one that people speak on. You have been head on with Annabelle before. I don't know if you've been around Robert the doll. How much stock do you put in when you're around something like this that people are claiming is haunted with like, oh, I feel this energy projecting off of this doll. The only reason I ask is I'm curious how you felt when you were around Annabelle versus these dolls. These feel fresh. They feel like a fresh wound. And when it came to Annabelle, I feel like there's been so much blessing and there's been so much around it that it, it doesn't, maybe because I know Ryan, it meant a little bit more to me. And I know how much of, I've been to his house. We we talked about it. He was like, I, I'm open to it, but I don't believe in it right now. Like it, it I'm just skeptical. So with Annabelle, uh, 
nobody's ever come forward and said Annabelle was mine. I lived in Hartford. I went to the hospital. I, you know, when I was working as a mortician, I would go to the morgue of the hospital that the nurses who had Annabelle allegedly worked at. And nobody's ever come forward and said, I had Annabelle. And nobody's ever said my fiance had Annabelle because remember there was, there was a fiance involved. So for me, I don't even know how credible it is or how involved I can even get in with the story. I'm not looking at the people who are suffering. And with these, it was the first time, I have a lot of haunted, allegedly haunted objects. I have typewriter from Danvers State Hospital that the family said would make the table shit. This is the first time I've been like, did I make a mistake? There's a difference between a, a little doll that makes something walk around in the middle of the night and something that someone felt was ruining their life. And I wanted to treat it with as much respect and tact as I could for how serious it was. The haunted doll market is one that is very lucrative and there are a lot of haunted dolls. If you are interested in them and you go on eBay, you're gonna find a lot of Goodwill dolls marked up an extra hundred dollars with a made up backstory. And um, maybe they're not all made up. Maybe some of them, they're getting the information from intuitives and spirit boxes, but to have something with documentation, multiple accounts, like this book is now a firsthand account of a haunting that I think a lot of people are going to be talking about these dolls for a little bit. So when I took them out, it it was just chilling. I was like, this is them. I, I've seen him post about them as it was unfolding. And of all the people he could have trusted with this, it, it's me. And that's when I knew I couldn't turn them into, uh, you know, every single day I'm going to go on TikTok live and sit there with a spirit box. It, it's like this traumatized someone. And I don't want to trivialize that, but I, I really don't think we knew they were going to be big. He, he said he wanted to keep them. He knew that people would be interested and he really desperately, the first time he contacted me, wanted to keep them. And the fact that he was forced to let them up by what he was experiencing, I felt a responsibility, but as far as haunted dolls go, you know, I haven't experienced Robert, but my friend who did came over and, and it, it's kind of the same feeling like this is it unfolding in real time. And I see all these people that can't stop thinking about them and how it's affecting them. It's not a story that's been, been retold a hundred times. It's like, this is something people are going to remember that I had for a long time. And again, it felt fresh. Like that energy was there. Yeah. It's like, we're still in the origin phase of of these dolls. I know it takes a lot. Well, I don't even know if anything really scares you as much as we've talked about stuff that would scare the average person. But with these dolls, do you ever feel tempted to let fear take over and to discard them or, or get rid of them? So when I saw them move on camera, I was alone and I was uncomfortable with that. And I sent the video to like three or four people. And I said, is this what I think it is? I slowed it down. I tried to debunk it. I was home alone. I walked through the debunking when I posted it too. So people knew that I didn't fabricate it. I was genuinely uncomfortable in that moment because how could it be? It wasn't the heat kicking on and it hasn't happened since. It was just this one isolated incident. And it had, it was an incident where it had been several days since I talked about them. So I'm like, do they thrive on the attention. I don't think it's that because Ryan put them in his book. So I'm not sure what it is about them that made that happen that day. And since then there hasn't been physical movement, but <laughs> I wasn't driving my car. 
And I knew that that was a risk. So a Paracon came up and I was like, I could take them out, but I, you know, there's a lot of interest, but I, this is the first time I've been really cautious and I'm like, I don't want to test it. I drive my car one time more than like to the grocery store or something. One trip since I've had these stalls and my transmission blows up. Okay. So this is, I haven't had car trouble ever. And I understand it could be a coincidence. I talked to Ryan and I said, I, I don't know. I have a trip coming up. And with the dolls, I know that car trouble is a thing that they, they've had. And I complete the trip and my transmission literally overheats as I'm like pulling in. Luckily, I was safe. I was listening to my intuition. I, for some reason, I didn't want to go on the highway that day. And uh, I got it fixed, but I was stranded for like a week. And I had to stay at my parents' house and it had to be fixed. And that's when I'm like... I don't want to give the dolls weight. I don't want to, you know, give them more power than is due. But if they're notoriously affecting cars and the only time I drive after I've had them, I have car issues, then what does that leave? Gosh, I'm just glad you didn't take a flight. Okay. That's the only <laughs> bad joke for the night. Um, <laughs> uh, man, that's wild. So you, you're at this point now in the story where things are happening I would assume you're starting to feel like the, what you were hearing about the dolls are starting to be validated. So where do you go from there? Do you do you pursue into further research, experiments on your own? How do you continue to process this information as it's happening in real time? So it's still developing. Ryan and I have both talked about how I haven't even told him that stuff has happened yet because it it's about it was on the cusp of having them for a month. And what had happened, I had a friend pass away right before I'm supposed to go do this big investigation. I do this big investigation that I've funneled a couple thousand dollars into and things kind of go crazy with that. We had actual paranormal activity that was insane with that, but you know, that kind of went wrong and then the car trouble. And then I got the flu for uh, a week. I've never had the flu, like the real flu before. It wasn't COVID. It was, I couldn't even get out of bed for a couple days. And now I'm back and I'm at the point where are they too dangerous to be in someone's house? Can they not have an owner? Are, is this superstition or is this misfortune? And if I pass them along to someone else and they also go through misfortune within a month of having them, does that mean that it's the dolls? At what point can we determine because we can't say definitively it's the dolls or, or it's not the dolls. You can make that decision. You can, you know, make the assumption. I think most people who've heard the story would believe that that happening within a month and a half of having them probably would be the dolls. And for the past week, all I was thinking was Ryan echoing in my head saying, the time when I had the dolls was the time in my life that I experienced the most emotional pain. Like the most emotional pain I've ever gone through was during the time I had the dolls. And I was experiencing last week and thinking, this feels like what Ryan described to a T. Like I have other things going on that I can't speak about um, that happened even before the investigation. It was like every single Thing that I didn't want happen. So Ryan was affected financially. And for me, it was just like interpersonal stuff. And I ended up filing a protection order against someone. Like it, it was a pretty rough couple of weeks. So for me, it, it was like, okay, all of my worst things, all of my worst fears are coming true. 
And I don't know if I want to give them the power. It's like, that's where the choice lies. Do I want to say it was the dolls? Because if I do, people will agree. But if I say it wasn't the dolls, I just happened to experience like seven misfortunes at once since owning them. And, and um, yeah, that's where it's at. Wow. Well, that's what makes you different, I think, than a lot of people in this space, because there are people who would immediately go to, this is paranormal, and I'm going to push this paranormal, whether I actually believe it or not, onto everybody online for whatever financial gains I can get from that. And I, I think that's why we all respect you so much, because honestly, usually you try to do the opposite. You try to debunk things more than I think anyone in the paranormal field, uh, which is a really cool thing to see as we all try to figure out what is real, what is not, and what to give validity to. But I do find it fascinating, the idea of let's go ahead and make that leap and say that there is some kind of paranormal activity going on with the dolls. And then you take another step forward on what we hear so much in the paranormal world, which is giving power to those spirits. So that is a bit of a tightrope act for you to try to figure out how to go forward with them. Have you been able to find out any history on their beginnings, their their actual origin? There's no way to tell. There was just a large collection in Connecticut and they ended up at a market and there were probably, I think, 11 of them to begin with. So they have, there's been more than these two distributed. And that's something that I've thought about. When Ryan bought them, he was warned. He sold off the other ones one by one and is left with these two. That's as much as I know is that there was a warning. So hypothetically, someone experienced something before Ryan or they had a feeling or they were just trying to get in his head regardless. And then, you know, Ryan has them. And did he distribute more? He's tried to ask around and nobody's really felt like anything's happened with the dolls. So is it something from his collection? Was it the, you know, contrast of these modern dolls from like, well, modern <laughs> 1930s, but yeah. modern in comparison to the ancient stuff that he has in his house. And, you know, I mean, he has things that are like a thousand years old. So for those energies that are, you know, seeing him as a custodian and a steward and, and they're okay. And then to see these, I guess, annoying little dolls, did, did they put that energy? Where did it come from? And I, I don't think we'll ever have a true answer other than investigating. That's why we do what we do. We, we ask questions, we do experiments and that's where I'm at now. If next week or the week after, maybe that might be my cutoff. It, if those weeks are horrible, then maybe it's time to say, okay, these belong in a museum. They don't belong in someone's house. That doesn't mean they need to be destroyed, but that is something that Ryan and I have both discussed. And I was like, you know, I, I opted into this. I wanted the bad stuff to happen only because it validates it. And I you know, you don't want to tell your friend, hey, I think you imagined it. So this past week made me like, hmm, I don't know. And I, I said to a few people, I'm like, maybe it's the dolls. And they're like, uh, maybe <laughs> like they, everyone's on board. And like you said, it, most people would just go, yes, it is. But for me, I'm like, I can present this to you and you can make that decision. It's kind of frightening the idea of him being like the paranormal Thanos with all of these dolls and just, you know, now there's like eight, 
or nine other ones just out in the yes. world. <laughs> that, that's what I said. Like at first I was like, wait a minute, th there's more and, and they've gone to other people, but I guess they're fine. And then there's the consideration. Is it because there are two and it did, did it kind of ping pong this energy? My theory is that they were never given an outlet to communicate. So they're never told, Hey, you can use the spirit box. You can use the, this, you know, device to talk to us or turn off the lights, which seems to be what they enjoy doing is turning the lights off and on, which is terrifying. Um, but they never had an outlet to express themselves. So they're ping-ponging this energy back and forth. And like, what do we do with it? I'm going to mess up your car. I'm going to put your heat out. I'm going to move. So for me, maybe, and, and this is what I hope, is that by having an avenue to speak and have their, their story told, they may stray away from the harmful stuff because sometimes harmful stuff is just a way of getting attention. And it's not like they're they're hoping to put us in danger. Mm -hmm. Kind of like a toddler acting out or something that can't express itself or doesn't know yeah. how. Have you attempted like uh, the Estes method or doing any kind of um, speaker box sessions with the dolls? So Kalani came over and I said, hey, this is special. Like this is not, this is the first time I'm going to attempt to get EVPs from the dolls. We tried and we asked what their name was and uh, we were using the DR60, which is controversial and it does have its faults. But the first thing we asked was their name and it was sitting there flat and it just said, ah, like there was just like this loud scream sound. And I'm like, okay, I'm going to give them a little bit more time. So I do ideally want to try the Estes method again with them. But with this being a new case, and I'm the only person other than Kalani that has seen these dolls and investigated them, I have to be cautious about how much I'm putting forward as evidence that goes down with the history because I want to be as transparent as possible. Just because I got in an Estes session doesn't mean it's not biased and doesn't mean it's fact. And just because it came through, you know, an EVP session, same thing. So, you know, we, we had a reading done on them. We've looked at them that way, but we're taking it all as a grain of salt until we build a big picture and there's going to be common denominators throughout the story that we're like, okay, every time we've tried to investigate them, this has come up. And that's where I think social media doesn't show the nuance of paranormal investigation where it's not one night, it's not two nights, it's not even a week. It, it takes six months to build a true case. And when you look at other famous haunted dolls, let's even take a look at Peggy at Zach's museum. They didn't build that case overnight. It was like a year of investigating if not more and with Annabelle it, it didn't happen they they brought her home for a while she didn't have the case and then then stuff happened over the course of years and so with these dolls I tell people I know you want an update but it could take a year for me to know everything that I think I need to know or two years so uh that's where people are so used to the instant gratification of short format content. And I'm starting to realize the paranormal doesn't really fit into that because it doesn't happen in 15 seconds. It it happens in a, a succession of events. It, it's a series. And yeah. one yeah. one thing is a coincidence, but a series is compelling. This episode of the Real Hauntings Real Ghost Stories podcast is brought to you by Wild Grain. Hey everyone, it's Noah Daniels and I'm here to talk to you again about Wild Grain. Our last shipment of Wild Grain was so good that my four-year-old cannot stop asking for more of that awesome bread with dinner. 
And I'm not going to lie, I'm right there with him. And honestly, there's nothing quite like the smell of fresh bread baked coming from the oven. What if I told you that you too could get that delicious experience of homemade bread with none of the time and work involved? Well, you can by ordering from Wild Grain. Wild Grain is the first ever bake from frozen subscription box for sourdough breads, fresh pastas, and artisanal pastries. Every item bakes frozen in 25 minutes or less, no thawing required. And you can now fully customize your Wild Grain box, so you can choose any combination of breads, pastas, and pastries. You can even build a box of only breads, only pastas, or only pastries if you'd like. Plus, for a limited time, you can get $30 off the first box, plus free croissants in every box. When you go to wildgrain.com hauntings to start your subscription. You heard me. Free croissants in every box and $30 off your first box when you go to wildgrain.com hauntings. That's wildgrain.com hauntings, or you can use promo code hauntings at checkout. You can shop from anywhere doing pretty much anything. You might shop while working, eating, or even listening to this podcast. And however you shop, we all know and love the thrill of the hunt. But do you also know how to get the thrill of the best deals? Because Rakuten shoppers do. With Rakuten, they get the deals they love with the most savings and cash back. And you can get it too. Start getting cash back at your favorite stores like Sephora, Nike, and even Expedia if you're looking to get some travel in. And getting cash back doesn't mean you have to miss out on sales because those can just be stacked right on top. It's easy to use and based on a simple idea. Stores pay Rakuten for sending them shoppers and Rakuten shares the money with you as cash back through PayPal or check. Download the free Rakuten app and never miss a deal. Or go to Rakuten.com to start getting the most bang for your buck. That's R-A-K-U-T-E-N. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Yeah. And, and not only that, it's, um, you know, we recently had our first true viral post, I guess, or whatever on Instagram that did a couple million views. And it was fascinating to see because obviously Real Hauntings is a podcast, you know, that's our first and foremost way of communicating with an audience. And then we have Social media is a way to promote the podcast, make connections with people like you. However, when a post goes viral where we were sharing content from somebody that we interviewed, it was amazing to see how people don't, they don't even read like the bio, the description or anything. They just see the, the viral content, which was just this alleged paranormal activity happening in somebody's home. And then they make their comment and then they move on. And it was crazy to me because it, got like, you know, 100,000 comments or whatever, how many of the comments were like, man, I wish I could hear more about this. And I, I would just go in and go, hey, the Real Hauntings podcast is a podcast. <laughs> Click the link in bio to listen to the episode. And and you're right, people will just want that. Uh, and, and I'm no different. I mean, people, we've gotten so used to like, consuming information on TikTok and places like that. It's like you take it in onto the next thing, take it in onto the next thing. And that is tough with the paranormal or anything, whether it be true crime that involves 
investigating and really trying to put information out there because a lot of times it is like, Hey, here's this information, but you can learn more watching this documentary. You can, but it's hard. I, I don't know how we learn how to bridge that gap because it, it's the diehards of the paranormal that are invested in listening to a podcast, you know, watching a documentary and somehow there has to be a way to bridge that other than horror movies for the general populace who enjoy getting that, that, that scary feeling. And, and I guess that's something we'll all figure out together. <laughs> I don't know. Um, yeah. I think that, you know, people are so used to spirit box responses and things, like I said, that feel instant. And I'm hoping we get away from that. You know, I see a lot of people that are like, the paranormal field is so overcrowded. There's no room. And for me, I think it's the opposite. I'm like, there may be a lot of people putting out paranormal content, but it's only in one facet. It's like, everyone takes the same path I can't say everyone, but a majority of people, they're using the same equipment and you don't even need equipment, but they're using the same equipment, going to the same locations that you have to pay a thousand dollars to stay at. And I have, I, I've outgrown my time doing that. And, and it's fun. It's fun to go, wow, this is the real conjuring house, for instance, but like transparently speaking, it's $1,200 to stay there. You have to pay 500 extra dollars if you have more than 10,000 followers on social media five or six times and I've never had an experience. But then I go to this investigation two weeks ago and I'm like, I love this field. I, I want to do this forever. Let's move forward from the dolls as that is kind of a work in progress. I do appreciate you sharing that information with me and the audience. People who are new to this podcast or maybe new to you, how can they quickly hop on as we're talking about taking fast information. How can they go and see what you've posted so far um, about these dolls? So with the dolls, I have been posting more than minute long content. So I think the first video was like three minutes, four minutes long. So that's all on TikTok, the full, the full spectrum of videos and updates with them, the breakdown of what happened when they moved and the light going off, all of that is available on TikTok. Um, it, you know, it doesn't fit on Instagram because there's a time limit, but I show even the unboxing. I still have the box they came in. I'm like, just in case I, I saved everything. So uh, they can they can see all that. And I did post like a little update tonight, actually, where I, I explained, hey, like some stuff has been going on in my life and I haven't posted in three weeks because of all of this. So and that's um that's at my bloody Galantine, right? Yep, correct. Awesome. And of course, that uh, will be in the uh, description of this episode. So now that you've had these dolls and, and you mentioned about an investigation, is there any uh, recent paranormal activity that you want to talk about? Yeah. So I was asked by a client who she's an incredible woman. Um, she's in Pittsburgh's 40 under 40, and she's a business owner in a town called Brownsville, Pennsylvania. One of the ones that the, the industry really has left behind an old rust belt town. Every other building is abandoned. Most people haven't heard of it. Or if you've heard of it, like myself have been told not to go there. So you have like four abandoned banks, abandoned restaurants, abandoned houses. And, and like I said, imagine you're trying to build your life and you have your house and your next door neighbor moves out and the house goes abandoned and you're wondering, when am I next? And that is the story of Brownsville. You cross this bridge, it's foggy. And I was offered to investigate this place called the Black Horse Tavern. Now the tavern is originally from the 1790s. There was a fire 
um, about a decade after it was built, and they rebuilt this Tudor Revival home on top of it, which is what stands today. But while it was a tavern, there was something that happened from 1791 to 1794 in Pennsylvania called the Whiskey Rebellion, where the farmers felt kind of betrayed by the the government for putting an excise tax on their whiskey. So they decided we're going to do something about this. And they had a bunch of secretive meetings in all the taverns and, and they planned to tar and feather their tax collector. Now, oh, some of these meetings were held in Brownsville at the Black Horse Tavern. Yeah. Tarring and feathering is not a pleasant way to go. And it's not something that I would want. That's not my way that I would choose to die. And I definitely wouldn't want to watch anyone die that way. No. It, it, I mean, I think it would, it would smell and there's all kinds of horrible things I was imagining, but they had these meetings here and I just had this feeling that there had to be something. Imagine you have these stone, the stone foundation and these people are going down there and they're like, we are betrayed. We need to overturn this. We need to take care of these people. They are not looking out for us. And the first night we investigate the tavern, we weren't really figuring out what was going on. I'm like, some people are getting activity and other people aren't. And this doesn't make sense. And nobody can get along. We can't get on the same page. And I was just so confused. But the owner of the house finds a hundred year old skeleton key while she's giving us a tour for the first time in a hundred years, she finds this key. And then she forgets her, her keys because she, you know, the, the water started to run black because it hadn't been used in a while, not paranormal, but it, it felt that way. And she goes, the house is attacking and she leaves the house and she forgets her keys and everything was just chaos. And we go on to investigate a local general store that was abandoned in the town that my friend owned. And we investigate the Brashear house, the childhood home of John Brashear, an astronomer. And then we investigated, I think there was one other location. Oh, the Airbnb where Maria's Lovers, which was an 80s movie set in the 40s, was filmed. So we have a lot of history in this little town. And for some reason, I felt like I needed to go back to the tavern after two days of wandering around this town. I said, please, can we go back? And the producers are like, why would we go somewhere we've already been? And I said, please just listen to me. I feel like there's a concurrent underlying parallel paranormal story going on. And it's it, it's synchronicities. And it's it's something that doesn't make sense. That's not tangible. And just because it's not equipment going off doesn't mean we're not experiencing it. I said, the first day we were here, Chris, the other the other um, videographer, accidentally called Amanda, pretty up and spooky, Fran, which is the name of the friend who passed away that got me into the mortuary and paranormal fields. And I was like, that's a very specific name. And you guys have unknowingly filmed the wrong house twice. You filmed the house next door that is historically competed with the tavern to be like the more flashy house. So why wouldn't you be energetically drawn to film that house? Because they've competed for, with the tavern for over a hundred years. Hmm. So I'm like, there's something more to it. And they said, Becky, like we didn't get any activity. It was mostly electrical. And I'm like, well, just trust me. I fought with them on camera. <laughs> I yelled at them and they allowed, you know, Amanda helped advocate with me and they allowed us to go back. And I said, let's embody the rebellion. We're all on this, like, you know, we're all on edge. Let's go to the basement. And so Amanda helps me and she finds a way to take a piece of a Brillo pad and we turn a bottle of whiskey into a proximity pod and we put that in the basement and we have a trip wire and we go down to the basement and there's a store 
And I was like, we should open the door. And they said, well, you know, this person here said they felt energetically we shouldn't open that door. And it's this old green door with like, it, it almost looked like tiger striped pattern glass um, doorknob. And mm -hmm. it was like a coal cellar. And Amanda and I locked eyes and we said, we're opening this door. And we ripped this door open. And all of a sudden the energy shifts, someone leaves crying and they leave the basement crying. And they said, I got really scared. I heard a scary voice. I hand the Estes um, session stuff that, you know, the spear box and the noise canceling headphones to Amanda. And I said, we have to keep going. We've opened the door now. And I say, while she's under, I say, there's someone here. Could you give us a sign other than the equipment? And I said, could you maybe make a sound? And you hear this loud bang. All of the lights from the equipment light up at the same time. I go, are you kidding me? I, I look at Tyler, the producer, who honestly, I'm not sure if he believed me until that moment. And he, you hear him go, beep, like it, it's bleeped out in the, the intro. And, and Chris, his face, he looks like he just like watched the best rodeo of his life. He's like shocked and he's a non-believer completely. And I said, it never happens like this. You know, I never get excited because they're always like, Becky, you need to be excited. And I was like, but that, you can't make that up. Like it, there was the bang, but then there was also the equipment. And Amanda, who has noise canceling headphones and is blindfolded and listening to spirit box says, I feel like there's someone here that just walked in, right? Right now, in that same moment, all mm. of these instants that every single thing happened at once. And so I said, well, I've opened the door. I think it's time to close it. So we put a, a sigil on the door and we close it. And again, this is all documented. And everyone said, we're not going in the basement. So it's only Amanda and I. <laughs> and, and, and that's pretty heavy because you have grown adults that don't want to go back in. So the film crew and Amanda and I go in, we, we close the door and we hopefully closed it. And... I, I'm obviously going to return to the location because we've only confirmed that there is activity. We haven't confirmed everything else. And after everyone leaves, they, they were out of there, by the way. The other people filming, they were out of Brownsville. They're never going back. And Amanda and I had an extra day to spend in this lovely town. And we go to the river and we're walking to the river at night. We almost drove. And I said, let's go to the bridge. And we go to get in the car and I said, no, let's walk. And I don't know why it was freezing, but we walked and this guy <laughs> jumps out from behind a building and he has no expression on his face, almost as if he's a vessel to deliver a message. And he doesn't actually have anything, you know, he, he's not cognizant. He's not, he's not there with us. And I'm like, I'm going to get jumped. We are going to get jumped. We're two little ladies walking around this, you know, sketchy town. And I said, oh, sorry. And he doesn't say anything. You know, a normal person would go, oh, you know, like, sorry, it's okay. And so I like, you know, kind of stretch my body off of the sidewalk and walk away from him because I'm like, he's going to stab us, right? Like, that's the only obvious choice. And he passes us for about 10 feet. And then he said, did you close that door? Shut and up. Amanda and I were like, oh, excuse me, sir. And he said, did you close that door? And we go, oh, we're not from here. And then we just like walked away really fast. She quit thinking like got, you know, footage of him walking away. But we were like, what happened? And people were like, did someone plant that person there for you? It, it was very interesting. And that was where I was like, I'm meant to do this. I'm meant to experience this. And there are things that are not tangible 
to documentaries and reality television like that moment that we're meant to see. And, and that wasn't the only thing that had happened, but just the fact that the owner found a hundred year old skeleton key, but then forgot her modern car keys. And then we closed the door. And then someone asked, did you close the door? And it was just a really, really cool moment. And that's where I'm like, I have to go back to that house under whatever circumstance. And I did think for a moment, did I actually close that door? <laughs> like, you know, so it, it was really wild. And I called the owner of the house and I debriefed her. And I was like, some people were frightened in your home. It's definitely haunted. Um, there's electrical stuff going on that I would advocate for you to go get looked at by, by an electrician. For example, if you go in the attic, your hair stands on end, but that doesn't debunk what happened in the basement. That doesn't debunk the synchronicities. That's that's other stuff. And the whole town sits on sandstone. It, it's an old fort. It was, um, you know, it, it's indigenous land that was unfortunately stolen. There's a lot of reasons for this place to be haunted on top of the Whiskey Rebellion. So I told her, you know, it's probably the most haunted place I've ever been. Uh, that's the most activity I've experienced that was like, intelligent seeming and and again you can use the spear box you can use the obelisk you can get these words but to me it has to be bigger than that it has to be stacked and layered together to make something bigger than that so she said you know you're telling me you had this like feeling that you wanted to get back to the tavern you had to get back but you didn't know why and there was a guy who was an insurrectionist in the whiskey rebellion in the 1790s named Brackenridge and he had gone to the tavern and before he got to the tavern he was afraid because there's all these farmers here and he was afraid the farmers were going to kill him but he wanted to go and when he got there the first night nobody could get on the same page and everyone wasn't getting along. You have these two different sides. Nobody wants to state their position and things just aren't working out. So Brackenridge leaves feeling more confused than when he had actually arrived. And for two days goes around town trying to find the rest of the stories about the town. But he ultimately knew that to complete what he needed to do in Brownsville, that he needed to return to the tavern. And when they told me this, I was like, so that's why you didn't tell me the story of the house because you wanted this to happen organically we unknowingly followed the line and life of this <laughs> random man from the 1790s and that's why i felt so compelled to return to the tavern because i somehow picked up on the psychic imprint that we have to go to the tavern twice and outside of it i'm like why did i feel like i needed to go to the tavern twice i don't even know then i did more research because now i'm obsessed and i looked and brackenridge went to the tavern with a man named Albert Gallatin. And my last name is Gallantine. But before it was Gallantine in the 1800s, it was Gallantine with two L's. But before that, in the late 1700s, it was Gallatin. And I am from Western Pennsylvania. So I don't know the like, exact relation, but Albert Gallatin is one of my ancestors, which makes sense why it, it, I felt so strongly about whatever imprint is there. And maybe that's why I feel so strongly about the tavern I, I was like I want to buy this place and I said Brie I felt like you tricked me I said you know you told me you had this cute historic house that I might like you didn't tell me it was like basically the next Amityville that story about that man saying that is one of the craziest exciting horrifying haunting things I've ever heard on this podcast what do you think that was it could have been a coincidence but 
I am more inclined to believe, I don't, I don't know if it was a ghost or if everyone in the town just psychically picks up on the spirits. Does that make sense? Where it's like, you almost lose your autonomy because you know you have the neighbor who was the traitor, they, they don't get along. And they're like, historically, the people who lived there were the traitors. And then you have the people down the street that compete with them. So again, it felt like he maybe was walking and he just felt like he needed to say that, you know, it could be a coincidence and that's fine. But for me, if it were him being him, don't you think he would have said, oh, no worries. You know, when we said, excuse me, but he didn't respond. It was like the only thing he was there to do was to say those words. And it felt like he was a messenger. It was really eerie. And like I said, the documentary, they are going to add it, but it's not going to be at the capacity that I just told you where sure, it's like, it sure. meant so much to us in that moment. And that's where it's like, I want to do it again. And and out of all the times I've spent investigating, that was one of the most thrilling things to ever happen. I mean, obviously, look, I wasn't there, but that to me feels like almost an impossible coincidence. You just went and had this huge episode with a door. And then, yeah. I don't know, that's wild. I, I love that. Um, the fact I, that the, the door being open was the scary thing, right? Yeah. We have to go to the basement to close it and nobody else wants to go down and close it except for Amanda and I. And so <laughs> the fact that someone questioned that, did you close the door? And we're like, did we close the door? Did I close the door? Do I need to go back and close the door in a different way? And so <laughs> when I talked to Bree, I was like, she doesn't go in the house anyway, right? So she owns this property. She won't even go in it because it upsets her that much. So there's not really much more damage that I could do other than validate her experience. Yeah. She purchased it to have this cute little dinners, the hottest dinner ticket in ha- in town, it was advertised. <laughs> and then, you know, now you see the cobwebs forming and I really wanted to solve it. And it's not going to solve in two days or a week. It's it, I want to spend a week at this house. But I, you know, with that, I told her, I said, Bree, we uh, opened a door in the basement, but then we closed it. And now there's a sigil and chalk on it. Uh, just leave that closed for now. I just got this funny idea. I, I would love to see a show where like, instead of like Guy Fieri going around to dives, diners and drives or i may have messed that up but anyway it's becky going to like all the haunted locations that you go to and it's like you and your hearse or whatever like like on the roadmap <laughs> pulling up to like i'm in brownsville anyway sorry this is just how my <laughs> brain works trying to produce content well i'm glad you're okay i mean i know for you that's fascinating and it and it helps validate certain things and it's, it has to be exciting to have such a tangible haunting experience so you you know obviously you were saying that that was documented. How does something like that impress upon you for the future stuff you do when you're going into a new investigation? Are you thinking about that experience? You know, do you take information from that and apply it to future investigations, or do you view each investigation as its own separate thing and you have your own set of rules for those investigations? I would say that this was a fumble in some capacities because I I did photograph some things, but I should have been filming everything, Mm -hmm. everything, not just when the camera crew was on. I needed to film myself walking down to the bridge. I needed to film the keys left on the counter. I did take a photo of them, thankfully, but I needed to just pay attention to everything. And that's where the discord happened. And I told them there's a discord happening because we are experiencing the paranormal and we can't explain it. For example, the house, the whole haunting with the house is mostly electrical. 
So a lot of it can be wrote off as weird electrical stuff. Like for example, all the lights in the hallway blew up and they had to replace the fixtures. So there's shortages, there's things going on with that. But that doesn't explain why when we investigated the tavern and we get back to the Airbnb, the electricity is out in the living room or in the kitchen of the Airbnb and the, the refrigerator is off. So I had to call the owner and say, hey, um, I hate to be a pain, but the electric's off in the kitchen. And she was like, were you doing anything? And I was like, no, we just got back. We weren't even here. And she said, you didn't bring anything back from the tavern, did you? And so there's stuff like that that I can't document. And you know, I was trying to contact her and I kept sending the messages on Airbnb and it kept saying, retry, retry. It, it just wouldn't work. So there are things that now I'm going to pay more attention to from the beginning when I'm documenting. So it's not going to be only when we're investigating because the paranormal can bleed out of those segments. And, and, and so whenever you're on film, you take a break and you're breathing and you're, you're taking your space. And then when you have your equipment out, you're on. And now I'm realizing stuff is manifesting even when the equipment's not on. And that's where I think most content online, most television shows really struggle to capture those nuanced things like the opening the door. You know, thankfully, Amanda thought to turn around and grab a picture of him at least but wouldn't it have been amazing if we had our phone out and we were just like filming our feet or something just because most people I've told, obviously they believe me because they know me and they know I wouldn't lie. But other than a written account, that's just an, a moment for us. Yeah. And I also feel like I couldn't have made up anything crazier. Like I, I'm yeah. literally not that clever. Like I, I would not no. be able to write a <laughs> script if, if I could come up with creepy stories like that, that I would yeah. be in a whole different business. Uh, that, that's that's amazing. Well, thank you for sharing that with our audience and with me. That's something I'll be thinking about for the rest of the night and try not to get scared myself. So we're running up on our hour. Is there anything you want to share with our audience that they can look forward to that you have coming out or things that you have out now that you want them to check out? I have a documentary that is going to show at least that investigation in some capacity. They will be able to see, you know, the owner of the house, the story of the house, all of that. And that is the first time the witness of that paranormal activity has ever told her story. So mm -hmm. that that is pretty cool that they get to see that and they'll be able to see us closing the door. So that'll be called Historically Haunted, Surrounded by Spirits. That's coming out at some point this year. Um, I know they're really motivated that the crew like I said, I'm pretty sure they didn't believe in the paranormal until that moment in the basement. And they're like, okay, we, we're kind of on board with what you're doing here. So that'll be coming out. And I think that's my major thing. And then I'm hitting the road with Kalani in two weeks for a really scary haunted house in Iowa that I'm kind of nervous for. And that's pretty much all I have on board. Like I said, I'm looking more towards long formats and writing things down and having more of a legacy outside of my social media. You're a talented person. You're extremely well-spoken. It's a joy to edit your episodes when you come on because I basically just get to hit play and listen to the episode again. And uh, I, I love that you have a voice in this community and you continue to get to share not only content that is entertaining with people who enjoy the paranormal, but you get to also educate. And I think something that's important is that you set realistic expectations of what people can expect when taking on real content from the paranormal world and it helps people hopefully decipher between real and fake which is a real issue in our industry 
for better or worse. It just, yeah. it just is what it is. Becky, thank you so much for coming on. Audience, make sure you support everything Becky does. She is on all her platforms at My Bloody Galantine. If you don't know by now, what are you doing? You're missing out. Check it out. Yeah, she's a one of a kind. Um, Becky, thanks so much. Thank you for having me. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts.